Hello there, space fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Supercluster Podcast. I have two guests on the show today who have joined us in the past, Emily Speck, space reporter down at the Space Coast, and Kinio Wallace, propulsion design engineer. Thank you both for being on the show again. Kinio, I feel like every time I have you on the show or have something to report, it's not super positive, but we always find a positive light in some of these mishaps that happen at Cape Canaveral. Emily, you broke the story in February. Rocket Crafters was doing a engine test, right, Kenio? And there was some sort of overpressurization. Is that yeah, right, that's thinking? correct. So the engine had a lot more pressure in it than what it was supposed to, so issues occurred. Mm-hmm. Emily, can you just briefly tell me from your perspective what happened? Because I know you reported on the story. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. We get a lot of news tips and, you know, I'm the space reporter for the CBS station here in Orlando. So we got, let's see, a few Facebook messages from the area where Rocket Crafters is located. It's in kind of an industrial area in Cocoa. But the Space Coast gets to see a lot of interesting things because of its location. So when I started getting messages that said, hey, there was some kind of incident, you know, we have maybe some debris in our warehouse. We we think they originally thought it came from SpaceX because rocket crafters and SpaceX next door, right? are like <laughs> next door neighbors. But this has happened before and I really freaked SpaceX out when I asked them that. So this time <laughs> I started I started with with rocket crafters and and, and so Kenio's coworker Sean got back to me pretty much immediately. He said, "Yeah, yeah, it was us. Obviously, no one was hurt. You know, and these things do happen. You know, they're, they've made changes and they're back up and running. And they were pretty transparent with us. In fact, I think maybe the next day or the day after, my coworker James Barbero did an interview with Rocco Crafters. So it was, as far as I'm concerned, it was <laughs> it was kind of a, a better situation than a lot of the something has happened we don't know what Mm -hmm. and we can't get answers you know that's the typical thing that happens sometimes so right and in my experience rocket crafters has been pretty transparent about what's going on there so kenio why don't you give us you know the 411 of what happened that day in february yeah real real quick i want to reflect on how you said it seems like it's never really positive terms that we're we're on the podcast together but in all actuality i mean this is rocket science nothing's going to work out perfectly every single time i mean even nasa it took them forever to get a, a rocket up in the sky when you're trailblazing new technology it's almost impossible to get it right the first time you're going to encounter issues when you're you're running technology on red line at all times and you're pushing the envelope of material science and technology there Absolutely. so so the the biggest issue that we encountered was that the the engine pressure got higher than what it was originally designed for inside of the combustion chamber so the reason for that was related to some manufacturing decisions that were made with this particular engine that was related to older technologies that we had previously developed for this program. So this program, we call it the Comet, but it was originally a DARPA contract that we did back in 2016 and 2017 that the contract was awarded. And at that point, the engine designs were based off of more traditional hybrid rocket designs. So it used a showerhead injector, a fuel grain that was based off of that of the Bates calculations, which are used to calculate the sizing of solid fuel grains. So it was it was based off of a lot more older legacy hybrid technologies for calculating that hardware. 
And 99% of those issues that we encountered were due to that older technology. Another issue that we had with it was related to the sugar. Uh, again, yeah. this time it wasn't the sugar, it was the potassium nitrate. So we, the first two tests were performed. So th- there were three tests total performed. The first two tests were perfectly successful. The engine did exactly as we expected it to. It was the third test that we had the issues with it. On that test, the igniter that we were using, which is a, it's a, again, Rocket Candy, which if you guys watched or listened to the previous podcast, you'd know that Rocket Candy is a mixture of sugar and potassium nitrate. Now, we were having issues during our lab scale testing when we had Robin and a lot of, and Emily and many other space reporters at our facility. And we had issues with the sugar being oversaturated with water due to the humidity in Florida. So we solved that issue by making sure that the sugar was kept in a dehumidifier and in a dry environment so it no longer absorbs water. However, the issue we encountered this time is that we were using different sources of potassium nitrate. So the first source that we were using, which had been used for all of the previous lab scale tests, as well as the first two tests for the comet, were it was all the same potassium nitrate that we had been able to vet significantly and make sure that everything was working perfectly, or as perfectly as you can get with rocket candy, as Robin mm-hmm. and Emily have seen previously. But the the issue with this one was that the shipment of potassium nitrate that we received wasn't quite the same concentration as that as the potassium nitrate that was in our previous um, purchase supplier. So that caused Mm -hmm. a different reaction to occur in the igniter in the engine. Now, we had previously conducted tests with that same igniter material, that rocket candy, because our procedures for the rocket candy after some of the issues we had with the lab scale was is to take when we cast the solid motor of rocket candy, we set a section of it aside and then we ignite that before the testing to make sure that it ignites. So during that, we're testing to make sure that it's burning and that it's burning at an acceptable heat and duration. However, when we do that, it's not under pressure. So with solid rocket motors, the speed at which it burns is affected a lot by its pressure. So when you put the solid rocket motor, which is the the rocket candy that we use to ignite, under pressure, it has a tendency to burn at a different rate than if it's in the open atmosphere. So because we didn't test that rocket candy under pressure, we encountered an issue where it burned a lot faster and hotter than it was supposed to. And by doing that, there was an uneven distribution of heat inside of the engine when it started up. And by doing that, that caused combustion instabilities inside of the engine that then caused an overpressurization, much like some issues that NASA had with the Saturn V. Now, that was a much larger engine on the Saturn V's F1 engine. However, combustion instabilities were one of the issues why that engine kept overpressurizing. Wow. Now, Emily, what was reported to you, what people were hearing outside? Because from what I saw in the press release and stuff, it was loud, but no one was... And can you correct me if I'm wrong? No one was injured, and there wasn't serious damage, except for that visible. There was something in the roof, right? And that was yeah. So, so what it was is that the the majority of the damage was from the pressure wave. So it was like a a water heater when it overpressurizes and it goes boom. 
I'm not sure how familiar you are with that, but I mean, it's also the same as if like you took a soda can, you shook it up and you threw it on the ground mm-hmm. and it just, it, it, it's, it's just an overpressurization event. And so when the engine overpressurized, because the oxidizer and the fuel are in two different states of matter, so the, the oxidizer nitrous oxide is in a liquid form, and then the solid fuel ABS plastic is in a solid form, they can't interact with each other unless they're under specific conditions, which we can produce inside of the engine. So immediately after that overpressurization event, within 0.06 seconds, all flame was out. Wow, that's a great response. Well, from what we could see and and what we were told, it was very loud from the, from the neighbors. And obviously, we have a helicopter, so we flew over the scene and saw yeah some debris in the roof and and kind of what looked like kind of what you're explode what you're describing is kind of like shaking up a soda can and then or maybe if you put it in the freezer or something and it kind of explodes yeah. all over the place. So that's kind of what we could see. And I, and I think that water heater reference is, is something that Sean also used to explain it, which is good because this is, it's very complicated. And I'm sure this is something you all have faced with your neighbors and Coco, you know, you're in an industrial area and yes, they know that some stuff is going on, but when they hear something go boom, you know, yeah. They oh yeah, it can be really scary. <laughs> so it scared it me too. Out. Yeah, I'm sure it did, but I guess yeah, I would have to ask. So, when that happened, you know, where were you and where were employees? Obviously, no one was hurt. So clearly, you were clear of the area, right? So the test stand. I know when you guys were last there, we yeah. had it laid out in the facility where it was going to go. I can't remember if there was a concrete wall around it at that point or not, but there's a 10 foot concrete wall that is between the test stand and the rest of the facility. Kenio, when I visited you, you showed me that. I think the wall was up when I visited, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. I think it, you visited right before the Nerd Night in Orlando, correct? Right, 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 yes. Yeah. So, yeah, at that point, we had the wall up. And that it was a, it's a 10-foot wall with glass doors on it. So that way, if anything does occur in there, that would be the first line of defense, I guess, where it's designed to absorb any impact forces to prevent anything from going throughout the rest of the facility. But in addition to that, everybody who's at the facility during a test is inside of a concrete block room that is where our main lab and control room is located as well. So we had two concrete walls between us and the test stand. But I mean, even with those, we were still maybe 100 feet away from the test. Yeah. Emily, that area is Mm -hmm. not is I feel like that area is not used to things like this, but they're always well, very concerned about it because a lot of people live there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? There's you know there is there are some like residential houses and stuff, but a lot of it's kind of construction. There's a pretty big I don't want to call it a, a junkyard, but it's kind of a big junkyard. But actually, they contract with Kennedy Space Center, and sometimes Uh-oh. they get some pretty interesting stuff. <laughs> like this is completely unrelated, but um, when SpaceX started building there. We flew our chopper over the scene and we saw what turned out to be an old, this wasn't near SpaceX, it was near the junkyard, but it was an old, I think, Atlas D rocket, like miss, it was considered a missile and it had been taken to the junkyard from Kennedy Space Center or from the Air Force Station. And it was just sitting there and we were like, what is this giant, you know, rocket <laughs> type thing doing that. here? So it's not that it's, it doesn't happen. And I'm sure, Kenny, you can probably speak that. Coco police are, you know, used to dealing with maybe some unusual calls. So yeah, like I was saying at the beginning, I think that 
the Space Coast community is a little more maybe intrigued and involved when when things like this happen. So, yeah. but yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting area and it's a interesting place to be. I guess I would just have to ask moving forward from this, you know, January seems so, so far away, <laughs> like such a long time ago. But so ultimately you guys have made corrective actions. So what's, you know, how are you moving forward from this basically? Well, so first of all, beginning with this test program, we started contacting not only all of our local companies that are around us, but the fire and police department are also made aware of when we're going to do a test a day in advance, as well as a few hours in advance. So that way they are aware of that. So if they do get any strange calls, they are, they know what it is. That's good. Be a good but neighbor. For... <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just because we don't want the cops getting called on us. <laughs> but for, for, for future tests, there's, there's a couple of things that we're implementing to maintain an even safer environment than we already have in there. Because, I mean, even though we did have that pressure event, there was minimal damage to the facility and nobody was injured. But there's still a risk that something could have happened that could have injured somebody. Maybe one of those little pieces of debris that went flying could hit somebody or something like that. So to help further the mitigation, we are... So at this point in time, we've we've transitioned away from that particular engine. Uh, there was a lot of legacy hardware in it that it wasn't worth trying to fix it to get what was what we needed to do to make it safer. Right now, we're outfitting our facility for a new test engine that will be flying on a suborbital flight later this year, as long as COVID-19 doesn't keep raining on our parade. So we're in the process right now of outfitting our facility for that one, but it's going to not only maintain itself inside of that concrete structure that we've got that surrounds it on all sides that would prevent the any debris from hitting anything either downstream, upstream, or to the sides. But we're also adding capture netting around it that uses mm-hmm. designs based off of some NASA systems that NASA used for the Peregrine hybrid rocket. So they were working on a hybrid rocket in the early 2000s for a suborbital sounding vehicle that would allow for them to launch payloads up into a suborbital flight to do zero-g studies. And the engine, they were having issues with it overpressurizing as well. So some things they did is they built a cage around it, and they also designed what's called a pressure relief nozzle. So if the pressure in the engine exceeds a certain point, the nozzle will actually blow off and then it'll relieve all the pressure in it. So it concentrates that pressure wave into one particular direction. So it sounds like a lot of changes have been made. It's also kind of important that a lot of people outside the industry don't realize that when you test and and you fail or something happens, you learn from something. So because oh, of right. these oh, incidents, definitely. you know, you're you're moving forward and you're progressing. Improving the oh. hardware too. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I would rather I would rather the engine pop now on the test stand at my facility than it pop during flight taking a customer's payload to orbit. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And Kenio, just give us, I know a lot of folks listening right now have listened to the previous podcast that we did, but just remind us about Rocket Crafter's long-term vision and what you guys are actually trying to do. 
Yeah, of course. So right now we are deep in the R&D stage. So hybrid rockets have been explored to a certain point, but there have been issues either with combustion stabilities, ignition issues, or repeatability that has become cost prohibitive for most companies. And instead they end up pivoting to a solid rocket motor, which has been studied extensively and it makes it cheaper and easier for them to get their vehicles to orbit. We are convinced and steadfast on making sure that we can solve those issues. So we've solved the combustion stability issues, except for when they're caused by ignition. So our our biggest issue right now is ignition systems, which we are rapidly working towards some new ignition systems. But Rocket Crafter's overarching goal is to be a small sat launch company so we can launch payloads to orbit much smaller than that of what spacex would do if spacex Mm -hmm. was to launch vehicles of this equivalent size as to what our vehicle would take we'd be looking at about 70 or 80 satellites on their payload so we're we're not as small as say the rocket lab electron which launches Mm -hmm. about 250 kilograms to leo we are not as big as the firefly alpha which launches about a thousand kilograms to leo we're right in the middle there at about 500 kilograms to leo and what are you guys looking what's your like time frame i know you guys are looking at launching in a few years your first launch right So we've got a suborbital launch scheduled for sometime this summer or fall, depending on how the COVID-19 virus affects our suppliers or supply chain and ranges and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we'll be launching a secondary suborbital vehicle of a much larger size that will fly an engine comparable to that of one of our orbital engines that will power the Intrepid the following year in 2021. And then... As long as everything there goes well, we should be flying an orbital vehicle in 2022 timeframe. That's exciting. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Um, Where are you guys going to be launching from, these first couple of suborbital test flights? So the first suborbital one is going to come out of Spaceport New Mexico, and we have not determined for the second flight yet. As it's a larger vehicle, it will have more restrictions on where it can fly from. So the, the the one that we're going to be flying in this year, it's got a thrust of five and a half kilonewtons. So it's not very big. That's about a thousand or about 1200 pounds of thrust and it only burns for about 10 seconds. So it's not a huge rocket, but what it's doing is it's providing flight heritage for our technologies and proving that not only do our technologies work well on the test stand, but they'll also perform well in flight. Is CAPE an option for you guys? So once upon a time, it was. Mm-hmm. However, right now, the sounding rocket launch pad, the K-pad, has been turned into a flat concrete pad. So at the moment, there is no launching facility for sounding rockets, but we are in talks with them to see if our next vehicle could fly out of the KPS. That would be cool. I might be wrong on this, but I think so. sounding rocket launches... When when they launch with NASA, where are they where are they launching them from now? Aren't they launching? Aren't they looking at launching from Alaska? Am I making that up? So Virginia? there are some that launch out of Alaska, and okay. then yes, yeah, the rest are okay. Wallops in Virginia. Okay. So okay. we talked to Wallops about flying mm-hmm. out of there. However, they wanted a flight proven rocket before it flew out of there, and my understanding is it's very rare for an experimental rocket to come out of Wallops the first time usually they want oh, to fly out of somewhere else first okay yeah that's interesting is, is alaska 
something you guys would consider too? I mean, that's, I know. Oh yeah, definitely. Kind of I, I mean, it's really cold up there. So I personally don't want to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going to, they're going to send you to Alaska. So you better watch yeah. it. Bro. I, I'm from Maine originally. <laughs> I moved to Florida for a reason. True. True. Okay. <laughs> Kenio, thank you so much for joining us. And Emily, thank you so much for reporting on the story and joining us. I also need to inquire about your helicopter because I'd like Supercluster <laughs> to have a helicopter. And you have set expectations for our listeners that you have a helicopter and we do not. <laughs> well, it is not my helicopter. Let, let us be clear about that. <laughs> it's not your personal helicopter. <laughs> no, but no, it, it's it your is agency's not. Yeah, helicopter. It's and... uh, WKG. <laughs> we have a helicopter. In fact, we lease it. It's not something we own it. That's okay. We all lease. Yeah. Everybody yeah. leases. So it is, it is kind of a fun thing. It's called Sky Six, and it is kind of fun to be like, this is happening. Send Sky Six. Supercluster ain't there yet. We can't dispatch a helicopter no, yeah. over SpaceX or rocket crackers. And the regulations cover. on drones, uh, it's not quite there yet. So Yeah, that's true. So you have to use well. a helicopter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, it's it is really kind of great on the Space Coast because we can see very far and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, that's where we get information from is right. to look at, you know, the SpaceX site, what was going on there or, you know, mm-hmm. we can even see kind of out to the Cape and out to Kennedy Space Center. Obviously there's flight restrictions, right. but you know, it it kind of offers a a unique perspective sometimes. So, yeah, that is kind of neat to to do that, but I wish it was mine, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and Kenio, I know you're, you live in Orlando. You're, you know, you and I are good friends. We're all good friends on this call. I just, how are things going for you in terms of dealing with this coronavirus and how's the company in dealing with it? Well, I'm going to be honest. I'm getting really stir crazy. Yeah. But so aerospace companies are classified under the federal government as essential businesses. Right. So it it's had an effect on us more through our supply chain than it has mm-hmm. on the actual day-to-day operations. So because we are a new space company, it has been a lot easier for us to pivot to majority work from home. I'm sitting right. my bedroom right now. We're lucky that most of our stuff is still in the design phase. So design work we can really do from anywhere as long as we've got access to a computer. But we're also in the process of putting together or upgrading the test facility for the new suborbital vehicle and also prepping that vehicle itself for testing so as the hardware comes in, I do have to go into the lab day to day. I'm usually there for a couple hours, once or twice a week. So it gets me out of the house. But we, we've, we've got some social distancing practices in place at our facility. So we have to have masks. We can only have 10 people in the building at a time. We can't be like hugging each other and shaking hands and oh, all that Space stuff. people love to hug each other and shake hands and stuff. Our touchy-feely group of yeah. people. <laughs> How many people? guys employ right now any i'm just curious so right now we've got about 20 employees oh, okay we actually yeah. just hired on two new interns today nice nice it's exciting that's, great. that's good news and emily you i know you're working from home how's everything with you it's a uh, coronavirus central over here minus yeah. the fact that i don't have coronavirus so that's good that's good um, that's great news. yeah no our station is i think we're about 150 employees large so about a month ago, our news director made the call that we were going to reduce the footprint in the station by like 80%, and then we even dropped it to 90%. Jeez. So right now we have some of our anchors anchoring from home. Pretty much if you do not have to be in the building, 
you know, you're not in the building. So I haven't been into the newsroom in a while. So I miss it. And I miss my coworkers. Obviously we communicate every day via Slack and zoom and all that stuff, but you know, it's not the same. So, and I, you know, my space coverage has kind of dropped off a lot. Like I had a lot of things planned before this happened, Mm -hmm. but they've kind of had to take a, a back burner, but You know, this is a weird time. It's an unprecedented time. And we're just kind of trying to help people as we can. I mean, right right now, local news is so important right now. It is is so important. And I know a lot of people don't think that or don't agree with that. But we're trying every day to help people. I spend a majority of my time just answering emails with just simple questions about the coronavirus or helping people file for unemployment or helping people get answers when they don't know where else to turn. Because just like when you hear something go boom in your backyard and you don't know if you should call the police, people call journalists. Emily, you're one of the best and I'm proud to call you my friend. And I know how much work well, you do Robin. outside of the space industry. You report on Florida man, who's a nightmare <laughs> in himself. And you report yeah, on some that. of the tragedies that, yeah, that have occurred in Florida like the Pulse shooting and Parkland. So you're one of those reporters that wear multiple hats. So I appreciate you. And I'm, thank you for being on the show today. And yeah. Kenio, thank you again for being so transparent and inviting Supercluster in to see what you guys are doing from day one. That is something special that you guys allow the media to see what you're developing and and testing out in the open, just like some other successful people that we've brought up. So it's cool to see, and uh, we wish you the best of luck, and we will have you on the show again Thank soon, you. once we all get back to our normalcy and normal routines. <laughs> yeah, speaking of normalcy, Robin, when was the last time you visited the Supercluster headquarters? We don't even, that's that's an idea, not a place. So, so <laughs> Supercluster headquarters is my bathroom right now in Washington, and it will soon be Cape Canaveral, because as our listeners know, and, you know, Kinio, I know you're just a space fan in yourself, and we hang out a lot at the Space Coast, and Emily also, we're all excited for this upcoming crew launch in a month. All three of us will be in Florida. Will we be seeing each other? Probably not, so... That's maybe, our next maybe thing. Maybe for instance, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Six six feet across. You yeah, I'll see you both. But thank you so much for being on the show, guys. Thank you.